Check the program. 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 Welcome to Check the Program, a podcast by three this time. Sometimes arts journalists who saw a desperate need for arts coverage in the city and decided to do something about it. Uh, here we are. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm John Threlfall. I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe, and Melanie Trump Hoover is not with us this week because she is at home with her wee babe, just born a couple weeks ago. So, congrats, Melanie. Yeah. We miss you. Um, but I'm sure she'll be back with us soon. Oh, yay! Um, so, that's part of the reason we took a little bit of a break, but we're back and we will be talking about lots of stuff. Uh, We have a review of The Master Builder. We've also got a little bit of a preview of a new solo show, The Book of My Shames. We've got some artsy news, including a chat with one of the winners of one of the Pro Art Awards that was handed out last month, Um, and a look at what's going on in June. Before we begin, though, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional ter- territories of the Lekwungen-speaking and Coast Salish people, including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to live, work, and create on these lands, and much of the art we are discussing has also been created and performed here. Do you think I needed to do, like, more of a promo? Like, or was that good? No, oh, I think that was fine. I think that's good. Yeah. Good yeah. promo. I don't, yeah. Good. I don't need to, like, sp- like give away everything we're going to talk about? No, no spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. (laughs) All right, let's dig in. Well, let's start with the uh, the Master Builder. You went to Blue Bridge. uh, This is the, I guess, the first official show of their summer season? Uh, Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah, Master Builder by uh, Heinrich Ibsen and adapted uh, by David Hare for this one. Master Builder is not one of the most known Ibsen plays. Um, Hedda Gabler and Dollhouse are kind of the more famous ones. And um, yeah, what to say about this show? <laughs> it, was quite a, it was a mixed bag of things. Um, so it, very strong performances. Um, in this in this show, uh, David Ferry, well-known actor, as in the lead as Helvard Solness, the master builder, um, a fellow struggling with his his own uh, permanency and and relevance in life as he gets older and the younger sort of talent comes up uh, underneath him, and um, so it's a lot about his struggles. And uh, his relationships with youth are kind of sort of the main themes of the, of the show and um, provide for some interesting, interesting relationships, um, namely with young women. Hmm. So he has, and this is in the notes for the program notes, it sort of talks a little bit about how that parallels Ibsen's life who had this sort of fascination with young women and had what had had said were platonic relationships, but maybe weren't. I don't know what was kind of hip at the um, 19th century time, Jamory. So, yeah, has this sort of dynamic with young women that has a bit of a a sexual charge to it. And um, and it was a bit odd. Namely, Amanda Lisman was, um, was quite incredible as Hilda Wagnall. Uh, I'm not, Wangle, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, 
So, so yeah, some very strong performances. It's a long show. It's three acts and uh, two, two breaks. And uh, it, the show itself felt a little bit uh, like, like its lead character is suffering from a bit of an identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> so I think sometimes that can happen. It's always sensitive when you take sort of period pieces, and even though this one was adapted, and you kind of present them now, you're sort of, you know, it's one thing to have a gl- glimpse into another time, but when that time brings with it a load of cliches, it's sort of, there's, I think there's a sensitive, you need to have a bit of a sensitive treatment of it. Not that everything needs to be updated for modern times, but I, I feel like the motivation of the characters and their relationships need to be rock solid mm-hmm. or else it, it falls into that cliche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, why, why are we staging this now? Why, like yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Why are we seeing this now? And to really not have that, you have to build like a very good sense of compassion for the characters and understanding um and so i think maybe because there were some uh some dynamics that were colliding a little bit um sort of yeah it felt like a couple different interpretations and energies were were going on um fairy um presents a very understated uh, lead character who is he's incredible to watch on stage he's so natural like all the sort of ticks thoughts and movements that you see people make in everyday speech he's so into this character that he does he has that where Amanda Lisman has almost a like an over-the-top like caricature of a of a young woman and it's quite fun to watch as well but they're just so different mm. it's kind of it's almost you don't quite get their chemistry mm. and chemistry is sort of the heart of it um so so i think anyone who goes to see it will definitely be fascinated and will appreciate all the performances they might leave a little baffled <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they might <laughs> Well, a lot of Bluebridge regulars here. Uh, Brian Richmond has worked with David Ferry before. He's worked with Mal Esmond before. Michael Armstrong, of course. Rod Peter Jr. Uh, I believe Jan Wood's been in uh, some of the Bluebridge mm-hmm, shows yeah, too. Yeah. Um, so a lot of you know people returning in the creative side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, David Ferry brought this piece to uh, Brian Richmond. Yeah, yeah. I heard oh, that. Yeah, yeah that so it doesn't surprise colonist. me to hear that he's so invested in the character yeah. hmm. and really lives it on Interesting. Stage. Yeah. 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 Um, the one, so, yeah, some other great performances. Rod Peter Jr. Jr. was excellent as Ragnar Rovic, the sort of young architect up and coming. And, um, and Jan Wood as uh, Eline Solness um, also had a very sensitive interpretation of the character. I didn't quite get her motivation hmm. either. She was another one that sort of seemed to be in a bit of a time warp so um my one thing about the set um which was beautiful but there wasn't i didn't get a sense of any building there's no not really any building Mm. materials Mm. and and so you kind of get in the front of the program there's you know the tools and the and the drafts and that was one thing that was a little bit hard to visualize as we're talking about buildings so much to it was almost like your mind is sort of desperately scanning to see a steeple or a a building in that time period, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see Brooke Maxwell is listed as doing the uh, the soundscape. Was that a, a significant yeah. part of the show? It was really interesting. Yeah, there was some really interesting sound. Uh, Brooke was sitting behind me hmm. for the show, and uh, yeah, I thought it really it did add to it quite well. 
sometimes the theater can be a little bit echoey with different voices and having that soundscape really just put an ambiance onto it it felt like a bit of a movie soundtrack mm. so i think it was really well done yeah fantastic all right mm-hmm. thanks sarah and when does this yeah. run till uh let me see here june 9th yes so, yeah still a few chances to catch it definitely yeah uh i went to a really interesting piece myself i went to the to workshop production of a new i guess it's a new play um by Isaiah Bell. Isaiah Bell is a rising tenor. He's a locally based uh, tenor. Uh, he's been performing in operas across Canada. Um, he's graduated school in music, but recently uh, he got attention because he was in the new Canadian opera Hadrian that Rufus Wainwright wrote and mm. Daniel McIver did the book for. Uh, and Isaiah Bell was playing Hadrian's lover in that. Uh, so this is a brand new show by him, uh, written by him. It's called The Book of My Shames. Uh, it's directed and dramaturged by Intrepid Theatre's own Sean Guest. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating little piece. It's about 80 minutes long, and uh, they've been workshopping it for the last couple of weeks, and then they put it up on its feet Saturday night, uh, June 1st, at the Bauman Center. And they want, they're taking it to Toronto uh, to... Um, a two-day run for Tapestry Opera in Pride, Toronto, and then it's going off to Vancouver for the Canadian Music Centre for a one-day show there as well. So they wanted to put it up on its feet in front of an audience and see if it worked. And it was a fascinating hybrid. It was like uh, a traditional solo show, monologue-based solo show, autobiographical, but then it had these opera snippets built into it as well. Um, you know, much like if you were seeing a show about a, a jazz performer who would break into song every now and then. It just happened to be opera that he'd break into. Um, he describes the show as being part confessional comedy, part opera seance, and part a love letter to lost innocence. And it really is that kind of a hybrid. Parts of it were very funny. And uh, Isaiah has a good uh, self-deprecating sense of humor. Um, he wasn't afraid of taking the piss out of himself. And um, it was very much about his, uh, his growth as a gay man as well. And uh, not so much about his love of opera or what path opera played in his life, um, which kind of surprised me. I thought there would have been a bit more of that. But an interesting hybrid piece, and it was good to see. It'll be interesting to see how it plays. I'm glad it's playing at both uh, an opera center and for a pride audience because mm. I think people will react to it differently. Um, you know, a queer audience might hope for, for more of that queer confessional uh, aspect to it, whereas the opera audience might want more opera singing in it as well. <laughs> I don't know. But it was, it was a pretty neat piece to see. Uh, and I think it does have good legs, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do see another version of it down the road coming back to town. Um, and it was also nice to see Sean directing something and, uh, you know, being involved in the creative scene most of the time. Uh, most people know him in town as uh, working, putting other people's shows up at Intrepid Theatre. So it was nice to see him working on something himself. Yeah, and uh, interesting to see something at this stage in the creative process. I always enjoy seeing yeah. workshop productions. I always feel very privileged to be asked to sit in on workshops. Um, you know, getting that early glimpse of pieces and then seeing it, why didn't they keep that? Or, you know, oh, they kept that, but they developed it more. Oh, look, there's a whole new character. You know, like like that kind of thing. Yeah. And the um, Janet Munsell and Sean and Isaiah uh, did a, not the traditional talk back uh, where this one they had very specific questions they were asking the audience. Mm. You know, what did you think of this? Was this clear? Um, did this character come through? So it was, it was really a neat, you felt like you were part of that creative process. So, yeah. yeah, Book of My Shames, Isaiah Bell. I would say keep your eyes open for it. A reminder forward. that art is a living, breathing thing. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. 
Cool. Um, so should we talk about news? News. What's new? New. So much has happened. So much has happened yeah, since, since we last sat down and chatted. It hasn't been that long, but it seems like it's been long because, I mean, just after our last episode, the news broke about Rifflandia not happening. It came out the last couple Yeah, of so yeah. in case you have been living under a rock. <laughs> That's right. Rifflandia is taking this year off. I mean, I think there was a lot of people wondering what was going on because by this time, usually Rifflandia had been announced part of its sure, lineup. Absolutely. Which is a bummer. It is. I, I have a faith. I have faith that it'll come back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. I think so what will be interesting, you know, we've all by now we've heard the, the reasons, you know, mm-hmm. the economy, the American dollar, mm-hmm. you know, the scarcity of headlining acts, yeah. uh, festival burnout, all these kind of things. Doug Cox was talking about it on um, CBC Doug Cox, who programs the uh, Vancouver Highland Music mm-hmm. Festival. And he, I thought he had an interesting insight. He said he felt that festivals, music festivals like this, are really um, for baby boomer and Gen X people. And he didn't really think they were really translating to the next generation of people coming up. Mm-hmm. And I wondered about that, because mm-hmm. last year's Riflandia, the headliners... Uh, Jesse Reyes and Daniel Caesar were definitely appealing to a younger demographic, and I know their their box office was down last year. Yeah, they said what it was. It I read the in the TC story they were down twenty percent, mm-hmm. and the year before was the first time they ever made money. Yeah, which totally surprised I me. I know, isn't yeah. that well? It, it speaks to like to commit to the festival for that long Absolutely. before even making money. I mean. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean they were losing money before no, no. necessarily, yeah. but like that's pretty incredible, yeah. which mm-hmm. speaks to like, committing like a commitment to making and it work. And just to have a locally produced festival, you know, by a group that is producing a lot of stuff in town, it makes sense to regroup. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a lot. It's the, it's a busy cycle. Um, yeah. I feel, you know, like look at all the stuff that they're, that group of people is involved in. Canada, the the Canada Day celebrations. Yep. I'm sure, like with the 150, I'm sure that was a huge. Yeah. Um, Car free yeah. Victoria, yeah. Phillips Backyard Weekender. The they Kirk- program music for Kirk Street Village yeah. Day recently. Yeah. They're doing some one shots this summer. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing I think what it will show the city is the impact, the economic impact that mm-hmm. Rifflandia has on the city. Because now all of a sudden mm-hmm. in September, you're going to have literally this hole in the city. Yeah. You're not going to have people going to all those restaurants. You're yeah. not going to have people going to all those yeah. bars. You're not going to have people booking hotel rooms. There's yeah. a big back to school one for yeah. university yeah. students yeah. too. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be interesting so. to see what the city is like without Rifflandia. Yeah. Speaking of Phillips, they just announced the Phillips yeah, Backyard Weekender lineup. Week so... Um, Steel Pulse, Z Trip, Danny Brown, Mercules, Chaos, Dirty Projector, Shad, Yamataka Sonic Titan, Art Deco, who... Um, Can you say that again? I don't even know if I said it properly. <laughs> uh, Art Deco, who Sarah and I saw Riflandia last year, yeah. who was great. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Shad and Chaos. That would be good. If we got Kanon in there, we'd have the three Victoria <laughs> sure. favorites yeah. of, of uh, festivals. Yeah. Who else is a local favorite? Yeah. Um, Peach Pyramid. It's a solid lineup. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good lineup. I think it was... and it'll be, it's a good for that um, venue too. It'll yeah. be a fun, for sure. fun show. So, yeah. Cool. Some good news. Yeah, it's good news. Um, what else we got on RC News? The city, other city news. Uh, there, I, I had to laugh about this, the city of Victoria talking about 
their new uh, hiring a consultant to do their new late night strategy and a new um, a new uh, alcohol policy, which uh, it made me. Uh, this is this is audio podcasting, but you can't see what I have in front of me. But I have a copy of a nine year old Monday magazine with a story that I did, a cover story about the last time they did a late yeah, night policy. John remembers. <laughs> So it's kind of old, old hat. So no. I had to laugh when I saw that, but uh, yeah. Um, so kind of uh, revisiting some. So what do you think they're trying to find out this time? Like if they're hiring a consulting consulting agency, what are they? What kind of findings are they looking for? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's specifically looking at an alcohol policy. Mm. Well, so. if you look at the landscape, like that's changed. There's a lot of microbreweries, a mm-hmm. lot of you know restaurants mm-hmm. wanting to doesn't seem like as many clubs anymore it's mm-hmm. all like food and booze well and i guess thing. the regulations around how you use booze at um public events has changed since yeah. 2010 yeah. as well so there are some changes i wouldn't i wouldn't think of them as like ri- increased risks though yeah um because they don't really seem to be the types of alcohol business changes that would inspire Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And just the if you look at the consulting firm that they hired, I'm also wearing my day job alcohol policy fund police hat a little bit I I work for a research uh, center that does a lot of work on alcohol policy. (laughs) Um, It does look like a bit more of a like industry friendly uh, group. So Mm. it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. yeah, but, I, w- yeah. I wonder if they're going to create, uh, you know, if the hope is to create sort of like a, a I think they look for a zone. balanced approach, yeah. I think it would be fair to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just the tone of the mayor's interview in the paper seemed to indicate that as well. Yeah. Um, but then you have a quote from one of the councillors and, you know, at the end of the day, the city is spending twice as much on policing costs as they're um, getting from uh, licensing fees. Mm. So, mm. Mm. <laughs> like... <Interesting. laughs> Yeah, yes. so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. But it got me thinking um, a little bit about how, like, what role the arts and culture can play in creating a late night economy that isn't dependent on alcohol. Because I think that the arts have a huge role to play and play a huge role there, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do we create a vibrant nightlife that isn't just about getting three drunk? Act, <laughs> three act shows. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with the, uh, short intermissions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny to mention that, but at a time when show times are rolling back earlier, you yeah. know, some shows are starting now at 7.30 instead yeah. of 8 o'clock. Um, you know, that doesn't really lend itself to a late night policy. Uh, I guess if you look at it as in uh, a restaurant situation where you turn over the restaurant, you have your early seating, you have your late seating. Yeah. Maybe that's the idea. You have your early yeah. seating for the older folks. And yeah. And you have your later But I think that's good, folks. right? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. have time to go and have... Like, you know, a a drink and a meal after the show, like, and then you're contributing to the late night economy and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think that's a positive. Well, if it leads to better transit and better, more street food. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I agree. Anyway, so I just, I just had to laugh about that because it just made me think of the, I'm like, great, this again. always come back around. Yeah, that's true. And uh, other news, I guess this happened like basically right after we recorded our last episode. The uh, Pro Art Awards were given out, I think like the day after we put out. So it's kind of old news. This was in early May. Um, 
the Pro Art Regional Arts Awards. So the last year was the first year they gave out their awards and they gave out one award to Carrie Newman. And this year they gave out three awards. So that was pretty cool. I didn't know they were giving out three. No, Did no, you know that? Was, that no, was that just was kind of a surprise a, sort of too. recognizing yeah. exceptional people in the arts community. Yeah, different levels of artistic practice. Yeah, and it was kind of neat the way they did it. Like I was reading through their... So they had the... The award that they gave was the the first year was the Living Mid or the Mid Career Artist Award, yeah. um, and they gave that to Theater Scams Matthew Payne. That was like an I think that was a nominated award they asked for people to nominate, mm-hmm. and then Matthew was then invited to nominate an artist for the Early Career Artist Award, and he chose. Lindsay Delaron, so she was also uh, recognized that night, and then Carrie Newman, who was who received the award last year, was um, asked to nominate another new award winner, and that award was the Witness Legacy Award for Social Purpose and Responsibility Through Art, and he chose artist Colton Hash, and. I thought, given that we've spoken with Lindsay and Matthew on the podcast before, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to chat with Colton. Um, and because I didn't really know his work very well, I mm. just uh, happened to go to because I work up at the university and he just finished up a residency at Ocean Network Canada. He'd done like a workshop or a presentation at UVic and I learned a bit about him at that through that. And so I learned a bit about his work. So I was like, oh, okay got to know his work a little bit. What kind of work does he do? Yeah, so if you're not familiar with his work, um, he describes it as using digital media to create interactive landscapes or representations of natural systems that are easy to recognize, but presented in an artistic way, prioritizing aesthetics over accuracy. Mm -hmm. So it could be anything from a computer program or an online app that uses a video game technology to an immersive physical space in a gallery that you'd walk into and experience. Um, His most well-known piece is called Resonant Disintegration. You may have seen some images of it online. Um, It's an eight-foot metal sculpture of a baby orca suspended in a gallery, and it's surrounded by projections of regional climate data over the next hundred years, things like temperature and precipitation, the ocean temperature for the region. And um, there's actually more to it than just the sculpture and the projections, though. And then inside this hollow metal sculpture is a speaker that's playing sounds of underwater noise recordings from freighters passing through the region and also has a contact mic, which creates a feedback loop um, that like causes the whole sculpture to vibrate and emanate its own sound. And all this is set up in a large installation space that's interactive where viewers, the movement of viewers, is tracked through the space and also when people touch the sculpture or even speak near the sculpture it picks up um, the sounds from the room and people's interactions with it and then that can also trigger this um, vocalization of the sculpture. So this this is like a pretty complicated project technically um, but ultimately is just curating a kind of meditative and emotionally driven space for people to reflect on um, specific things like the southern resident killer whales population is that's in decline but also more generally um, climate change and our relation to like the ecosystems around us and especially our relationship to the ocean around us. I've experienced that sculpture a couple of times uh, resonant disintegration in two different spaces and it really is a fantastic piece to interact with you get a real sense of emotional bond with it and uh, a, a real sense of intimacy too yeah. Yeah and it's interesting because like 
the other projects of his that I've seen have all been um, like just online ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that one is different than the ones that I've experienced. Yeah, so. you see his work in a gallery space. It's quite often they are very interactive. I've seen another one of his where it's uh, forest fires on a hillside and it's based on gaming technology. And as you move through the space, uh, you uh, have a direct impact on the fires that are appearing on the wall in front of you. Uh, it's really, he does fascinating stuff. Yeah, and it's um, really technology focused. It's tech plays a huge part in Colton's artistic practice and as does an appreciation for environment. Uh, it's an interesting marriage of these two worlds. His undergrad from UVic is a combination of visual arts and uh, it's a combined visual arts and computer science major with a minor in environmental studies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's also spent um, many years working as a tree planter in Northern BC. And he's also got a long history of being involved in social justice causes, uh, particularly around things like large LNG projects. And I'll talk about that. He'll talk about that a little bit later. And uh, Colton says that this kind of duality has existed in him ever since he was a kid. Since I was a kid, I've always felt this divide between being really interested in computers and technology and things like, you know, making video games to then turning into interactive computer rendering for art. Um, But that feeling like this very distinctly different thing than my interest in um, forests and ecosystems and spending time in nature and thinking about how ecosystems function. And this was really contextualized for me in environmental studies classes here at UVic where there is this notion of com- or complicated systems which are like machines that you can understand by breaking it down into its component parts and then there's complex systems that have that function by horizontal interactions and vertical interactions between different entities within the system um, but you can't understand it by just breaking it down into component parts and yeah, and I understand that in my personal life a lot because I have like this interest in thinking about complex systems and have this knowledge of how to engage with complicated systems and I'd, like use art to try to connect those. Um, and I'm connecting it through technology and ultimately trying to talk about complex systems with our interactions with nature through computers and through like really mechanistic ways, which is like this massive contradiction. Um, And I'm just kind of like stumbling through that and playing and experimenting, but it feels like it's working and it always feels like I'm working towards an understanding and working towards being able to show those kinds of things in, um, in a way that makes sense to people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that it's not just making sense to people. It's really resonating with people right now. This last year has been amazing for, for me to get, directly coming out of my undergraduate in university, getting um, getting some recognition from lo- local arts communities, getting like a lot of like personal people talking about how much they appreciate works, um, and just having more opportunities to talk to people that I would otherwise not talk to through the art I'm creating, and um, a lot of people really appreciating the like my intentions as an artist to try to make art that's um, relevant to contemporary issues. And also, I guess, just the way I'm doing it is people are really receptive to. Um, Yeah, and that means a lot for me as, like, an artist. I think that's one of the most important things is to feel that I'm making art that's relevant to people's lives and also that the process I'm doing is connecting me to more people within my community. 
So in addition to all that stuff Colton mentioned, the community connections, the provider award, he, as I mentioned earlier, he also just finished up his term as the inaugural artist in residence for Ocean Net Networks Canada up at UVic. And it wasn't just the first time that they'd ever had an artist in residence. It was also the first time he'd ever been an artist in residence. So it was a pretty big learning curve. But overall, he said it was a really positive experience. And he said he had a lot of validation and support from the scientists, staff, and education and outreach people over at ONC. And he was hearing things like they felt like the computer programs that he was creating to do things like, for example, show how much carbon dioxide that plankton uh, were absorbing could be used as educa education programs in schools or the community pretty much right away. Like he'd go and he'd build this thing and they were like, great, let's just let's use it right now. Um, because it was showing a visual representation of this complex system. And that was uh, really cool for him because it was, a, and it was really cool for the scientists because that's um, such a struggle for scientists to communicate that kind of thing. So it was a really great experience for him. I did not expect people to be so receptive to the works I was making. And, um, and I learned a lot about the potential of art in general to be able to connect different disciplines and art to be able to be something that can communicate um, scientific understandings at a, at a more like imaginative level and and also that um, scientific like or scientists and educators are looking for things that foster more of a creative understanding rather than a technical understanding of details and that those kind of tools are more useful for people to learn about the basics of ecosystems and ecological processes than, uh, you know, like traditional science communication. Um, so it felt like a really good opportunity for my own personal development to explore with new mediums and to learn about, to continue learning about the ocean and um, to work with in a more collaborative environment. But also it felt like this really good opportunity to be experimenting with art on this precipice of, um, on this precipice of creation and like working with new media and new formats um, for that have a lot of like potential and possibilities within the future. And there's a lot of interest in art and creative work um, to just communicate more like complex issues in general. Yeah. And I mean, like working in a research center myself, like it's a constant struggle. Like your researchers and scientists are always trying to find ways to communicate their research in a way that people that resonates with people right? well and that's why having an artist in resonance is such a great tool for this kind of a research center because literally he can visualize their research for people and instead of saying you know oh i intellectually get the idea about the impact of sound on fish and whales yeah. he can show you a visual representation of a tanker going overhead and you see the sonic waves under the water and where they impact yeah that piece was really really cool that one and and we'll share a couple of his pieces on our yeah, social sure. media because they're really quite powerful and and the thing that i like about his work is like they're like little computer apps and yeah. you can just like go on your your computer and experience these pieces um yeah it's it's really fascinating stuff and it's an interesting contrast with his social justice video work i don't know if you've seen any of that stuff john no not yet. um but uh he's also used his computer animation skills for projects such as running a potential pipeline routes in mm. central BC mm. or a planned LNG terminal at Lulu Island that would have 
impacted salmon habitat. He, um, that workshop I was at, he shared a couple of those. Um, and he says that he feels those projects were more akin to propaganda and those are his words not mine. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and telling people what to, what to think. And so he says that he's been really careful to separate that work from his artistic practice early on for several reasons. If I wouldn't have been intentional about that, I would have just kept making like activist projects for every single visual art project. And it was a really good thing for me to be able to experiment and explore with like making art in a way that's not didactic, that's not um, propagating information top down. Um, and then f instead that like art is still rooted in concerns about um, social justice and about climate change but it's just like presenting information in a way that's emotionally driven and um, that allows for more of an emergent bottom-up understanding. And that also is trusting the concerns and the intuition and feelings that viewers have so that when they come into this space, they can make their own connections, which are much stronger than, you know, watching a video that's saying what you should think about at this time, um, which are still important sometimes, but I don't think those connections are as long-lasting or as, or as deep. So I asked Colton what's next. He just finished up his ONC residency. He's got a lot of ideas and irons in the fire. Um, he wants to exhibit some of his projects across the country. So he's working on a couple of grants. He's thinking about grad school, um, some uh, new projects that he wants to do. Um, another idea around wildfires, I think, was something that he said uh, that was uh, an idea that... Uh, He'd like to explore more, uh, but he said the main thing is to continue to stay rooted and accountable to the uh, rooted and accountable to the communities that he's a part of. And uh, one thing that struck me in speaking to him, though, was the optimism he has about the role that art itself can play in tackling the problems that we face. Because mm -hmm. the problems that he explores in his art are big, scary, and big, scary ones that you'd think he'd be kind of pessimistic about. Something I like hope that art can do and people are engaging with is um, to have to be like to leave a space with a bit of inspiration for themselves to be able to engage with their own processes of, of creativity and imagination. And then collectively as a culture that we can start to build more collaborative sense of creativity and imagination because we like really need to come up with some out of the box creative solutions to the problems we're facing. But I think that like humans um, and our communities have a lot of potential and a lot of um, capacity to be like coming up with creative solutions and in different ways um, that we haven't done before. And um, and that's really exciting. And I I think that's that's another really important role of art. Well, it's good to hear somebody <laughs> young who is optimistic as opposed to pessimistic. Yeah, That's so, great. yeah, anyway, uh, thanks to Colton for taking the time. It was really nice chatting with him. Um, you can check out his work at coltonhash.com. He's also on Instagram, colton.hash, and we will uh, share some of his stuff mm. on our social media feeds. And I'm also going to upload our whole interview uh, on our anchor profile too it wasn't a very long one but i think uh, he had some pretty interesting stuff to state to say that i couldn't jam into this brief uh i'm hoping he does have a, a dedicated gallery exhibit soon because, that would be great yeah the stuff he's done in town so far has been very short run and very um 
you know, small kind of things that if you don't know what's happening, you miss it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing what he's been doing. Yeah. And hopefully after the, you know, after getting this award, there's, um, there's a more of a buzz behind him and that, yeah, yeah that'll happen. So oh, great. That's yeah. Great. Cool. So what's coming up? What's next? What's coming up next? Uh, Noises Off at Langham Court opens, uh, this week, June 5th and runs through June 22nd. We'll have a mini review of that up on our, uh, Facebook page, uh, after opening night. Yeah. That's this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I don't know if we want to go in order calendar time or what we're seeing. I just got my tickets to Scarfest. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, June 21st. Um, What in particular are you excited about for Scottfest? Keanu Marley and um, Sister Nancy, Mm. who wrote that famous uh, reggae song, Bam Bam. You know that one? Mm-hmm. Do I have to sing it? No. Not, not going <laughs> to. You're going to play us out? No. No? But, uh, yeah, pretty much everyone's covered it. Yeah. And she's the original, and she's pretty awesome. It's also, well, I'm going to the, uh, sh- there's a bunch of club shows, um, and uh, I'm going to go to Shit Point. It's a family-friendly event. Mm-hmm. Kids are free. So that's always a motivator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, festival season's upon us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jazz Fest is this month as well, June 21st to the 30th. Uh, I'm going to go see Stacy Horton's remount of Concussion, the interactive dance theater performance. Uh, it originally ran during Dance Days uh, mm-hmm. back in January. Yeah, it was it was January, yeah. yeah. And uh, Confession, I did uh, work for Stacy on that show doing some communications work, so I, I did see it, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm a little biased about it, but... It's a great show, and I'm curi- yeah. I'll be curious to hear what you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased that it's getting a remount. Uh, just short two-day performance of it. Uh, UVic is part of the Cridge Center's um, Conference on Brain Injury Recovery, so it's a good opportunity to see that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, another, while I'm in confession mode, um, I actually have not seen Hedwig this iteration of Hedwig that Atomic Vaudeville does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so yeah. I should you probably get you off my ass and see it. Lots right? of opportunity coming up this yeah, month. Yeah, because they're doing an all-ages run at the Belfry yeah. um, mid-June. Yeah. And when does it start? The 12th? 12th, yeah. And then near the end of the month, it's starting on the 27th to the 30th. It's yeah. going to be at the Capitol Ballroom for 19+. plus. So... Yeah. I should probably finally do that. Oh, yeah, it's a great show, and they, um, you know, both Griffin and Jana do uh, such a great job with it. They're both incredible, like, two of of the best local performers to see to see them in in any show is a treat. And I I don't know what, how many versions this is now. I saw one at the event center, one at Upstairs Cabaret last year. Yeah. Uh, Super fun show. Yeah. Maybe I'll pair it with, uh, there's an all-ages drag show around the corner sachet cafe at cafe fantastico on the 29th be a good way to kick off pride Mm. yeah great 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 hold me to it (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'll come with you You okay sounds good (laughs) and uh yeah and jazz fest kicks off right jazz fest kicks off yep june 21st to 30th lots of great acts coming in for that as well um, I always, you know, as, as lame as it sounds, I do enjoy the free uh, shows down at Centennial Square yeah. because I find it really brings a great sense of vibrancy to the city during Jazz Fest and yeah. to be able to walk by and just hear all that music coming out of there and really the Centennial Square acts are um, 
some of the few times you get to hear local acts during Jazz Fest. You know, Jazz totally. Fest is a lot of out-of-towners, which is fine. It's great. Yeah. Lila Bayali, people like that coming in for it. But it's nice to see the local talent, too. Yeah, and, like, not in a club. Yeah. Like, yeah. in Centennial Square. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. So that's great. Um, one last thing I'll mention, too. Um, local artist Megan Dickey, she has her new show that's up at the Art Gallery Greater Victoria. It just oh, opened great. last weekend. It's running all through the summer up until the end of September. It's called Blue Skies. And uh, for anyone who's seen Megan's work in the past, it's another one that deals with uh, clothing and fabric and videos and uh, interactions with society. Uh, it's really, she does fascinating stuff. Yeah, so, I like Megan's work a lot. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, uh, we'll probably get together again. We'll probably be doing what once a month over the summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah realistically. So. Gearing up for Fringe. Oh yeah, Fringe. <laughs> It'll be here before we know it. Totally. Um, well, thanks uh, for tuning in, everyone. Uh, thanks to Colton for chatting with us. Thanks to Karaoke for our new uh, oh, intro little ditty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you want to get in touch, check the program yyj at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Check the program. Uh, until next time, I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm John Threlfall. I'm Sarah Petrescu. And uh, don't forget to check, check the program. The program. <laughs>